and welcome to episode 218 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. I was thinking, Shane, we might release this one in reverse order because uh, probably the second one is the one we'll want to release first because it's the one on what to see in the month. So this one may come out a few days later, but uh, we'll see how that rolls out. Yeah, that makes sense. So we'll be, the numbering will be a little bit out of cadence, but that's okay. Yeah, that's all good. So we did it again. We started, we started talking about astronomy and not recording. And then we finally realized, oh, we should just record this as the podcast because that was the whole purpose of doing these podcasts in the first place. <laughs> but we get so excited talking about astronomy around here. Sometimes we talk about astronomy and then we're like, that's what the podcast is supposed to be about. Yeah, yeah. I think we just need a new rule. We can't talk to each other unless it's being recorded. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like five five minutes, six minutes into the conversation, it's like, you know, this would make a great podcast, like all this talking about astronomy. <laughs> so, yeah. Shane, we were, we were chatting. You were at a car show. You did not buy a car, but you bought something almost as expensive. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, last week when we were uh, recording, I mentioned that uh, I will like that I would likely be receiving a Takahashi TSA 102. Um, but I think as of the recording of last week, it wasn't like 100% official. No, it was just it waiting for like the funds to be sent and for a shipping quote shipping, and all of that. Yeah, stuff. you're waiting yeah. on the shipping. I remember. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, all of that uh, happened uh, perfectly. And this telescope was delivered on Thursday. And uh, yeah, I got it out for first light, first light for me anyway, last night, which was, I guess, Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was amazing. Oh, um, first of all, like, you know, so this is an older telescope. I forget when they stopped making them. I want to say like 2015, maybe 2016. I'm not I don't sure. Know. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, so TAC stopped making the TSA 102s. It's largely believed the reason is that they just had a big log jam of hundred millimeter class telescopes. And right around the time that they ended the TSA 102, they introduced, I think your series, the, uh, what is it? The FC series? C, DC, AC, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. So there's the DC, the DF, the DL, and the DZ. They have 400 millimeter telescopes. And uh, they're all doublets, but, you know, it, it sort of pushed this TSA 102 uh, out of the lineup. Um, so oh, anyway. For, for correction, that's four versions of 100 millimeter telescopes. We are not buying 400 millimeter apocrymaths. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, that is correct. Yes. Um, so anyway, this telescope is in almost near mint condition. Um, mm. It is in just amazing. It, it's just been well cared for. There's one mark on the OTA that I could find. And I think it's from the, uh, like there's a sliding dew shield mm. and there's two set screws uh, to hold the dew shield in place. And I think one of those screws maybe was just turned a little too tightly. So there's just a slight circular marring uh, in the OTA, but other than that, perfect. Um, it has uh, outstanding optics. They're in amazing condition. Um, you know, no defects or, you know, scratches or anything like that, that I could see. 
and it was retrofitted with the, uh, so it has like the original uh, Takahashi focuser, but like the, the knobs, I guess, have been removed, the, the original knobs and then retrofitted with a feather touch micro focuser. Yeah. Which is just like, you know, a hot knife through butter. So smooth. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's kind of the, the look of it. And it, uh, it came in a scope guard case. I'm not sure oh, if nice. you're familiar yeah. with those, Chris. They, yeah, I, I don't am. think they sell those anymore either. No, I Maybe, don't think so. Yeah. It's a beautiful case. Like it's, it's easily the best case that I've, uh, that I've seen with any telescopes that I've uh, owned. Um, so that was, uh, you know, a nice, uh, attribute as well. Um, so yeah, last night I got home at about eight 30. Uh, I quickly put the telescope outside and let it cool for about 30 minutes. Cause I think, you know, my, in, my indoor temperature of, of the house is 21 degrees Celsius. And I think outside it was around 12 degrees Celsius at that time, mm. somewhere around there, maybe a degree or two, you know, colder or warmer. I'm not sure. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, let the telescope sit for about 30 minutes. And when I came out, it, it had acclimatized it. There was no, um, like tube currents or anything like that, that I could really detect. Yeah. Um, so I started messing around and I really didn't have much of an observing goal last night, other than to just use this telescope and yeah. kind of play around with some different eyepieces and see if the bino viewer worked and, and all of that stuff. So, um, first of all, uh, you know, some just general overall thoughts on the observations is that it's just a beautiful telescope. Like the views were so sharp and, uh, you know, the field was extremely flat. Um, and, and what really stood out to me, and, uh, I mentioned this to you just before we started recording, I, I, it was a short session. Like, I think I was out there for about 90 minutes, um, but I couldn't believe the star color that would pop. And I was really just like, just sweeping the sky up. Like I, again, I wasn't really in search of anything in particular and just about every star field, you know, I would stop. And if there was star color to be detected, I, I like, it just seemed to jump out and and I didn't note every star field, but there was a number of star fields I did note. And then I noted the color of the star. And then I went back to sky safari to see if my, you know, my mind was playing tricks on me, but I think in about, I think it was like seven out of nine, uh, stars that I noted color. I got, you know, I got it accurately according to, uh, uh sky safari. So, um, that was pretty cool. Uh, I did run it up to 240 times, uh, using my Vixen HR, uh, 3.4 millimeter. And, uh, the seeing was pretty decent last night. And I tell you this, this telescope, like I, I felt like it was just sort of warming up at 240 times. Like, wow. <laughs> I think, I think it could keep going. Like, I'm not sure that there is a, li- well, there's gotta be a limit, but it, uh, it really was outstanding. Um, maybe the only disappointment of the night was my bino viewer did not reach, uh, focus natively, which is a big reason for going for the TSA 102. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a little bit off. Um, so like, I think I need another millimeter or two and, um, in going back to how, cause if you remember too last yeah, week, yeah, Bill, had, yeah, Bill has yeah, the setup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the default uh, two inch Takahashi visual back is like an inch and an eighth long, um, which is actually quite long. And I can get a couple beta adapters, which shrinks that down to like, 
I think about two centimeters. So about half of that distance ish. And uh, that should give me more than enough room at that point. So, and, and that's what Bill was using. So I I think I'll be okay. So that's now on the way. And I think then I'll be uh, set up how I want it. But you know, the, the other thing I'll mention, I, I put it on the uni 28 uh, Burlaback tripod and my M the stellar view M two C mount. Yep. And that is just, it's the match made in heaven. It is incredible how well from a mechanical standpoint that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, just so perfect. Like all of the movements, like when I was 240, uh, 240 times using that, uh, Vixen HR eyepiece, mm. um, like it's a pretty narrow field of view. I, I want to say that those eyepieces are like 42 degrees or 45 degrees or something like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, hand tracking with the M2C was, was no problem. Uh, vibrations, uh, were very minimal. Like certainly when I touched the focuser, there was a little bit of vibration, but I would say it dampened in like less than half a second. And just again, the motion, the movement, everything was so nice. It was such a pleasurable experience. Um, so yeah, I, I can't wait to do some more observing with it. You know, I, I, what I want to do is, is really start to split some, uh, challenging doubles, uh, and then also start using it for some planetary and lunar observing just to see how it looks there. But, um, so far super impressed. It's, uh, you know, based on last night, it's, you know, one of the best views that I've, uh, or some of the best views that I've seen now, lots, lots more to, uh, to test Uh, you know, the other part of it too, is under a dark sky just to see, uh, how it does there. So, so yeah, that's my big news. Yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. I, I just uh, uh, as as we were chatting there, you were talking. I I had Googled. Looks like 2015 is when they stopped making it, according mm. to uh, some folks on Cladinates. I could be reading that uh, incorrectly though. So I guess that makes it like seven or eight years out of production, probably give or take. Yeah, yeah. That uh, I, that that's kind of what I thought that it was right around 2015. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of neat. So they made so it was the the FS one hundred and two, um, and then it was the TSA. Is that right? Because they made the FS, yes. yeah, the FS predated that, and then before that they had what did they have? They had like an FC or an FT, and they had an FCT before that. So there yeah. was there was these really high end fluorites. One was six F six point four, so six hundred and forty millimeters. One was eight hundred. Then they didn't make a four inch for a while, I think, if I'm recalling correctly. Then they made the FS one hundred and two, which everybody went and which was a doublet. Those other ones, I think, were doublets as well. I think, and then everybody went crazy for the FS one hundred and two, but there was still a little bit of color there. And and my, I think my Pentax in a way is based off the FS design. And uh, anyway, they're very good. It's a good design. People go nuts for those still. And then I think they um, stopped making a hundred millimeter for a while. Then they brought out the 102 TSA and then they stopped making that. And then they brought out this whole plethora of, of hundred millimeters. The, they had a DF nine, they had um, a DF, which was, uh, F 7.4, like mine, but they put a huge focus around it for astro imagers. And then they put out the DC, which is what I have, which is a one and a quarter inch 
version of, of that, but a very lightweight portable scope. And now they have the DZ, which is their, their hundred millimeter flagship. And I think they're still making some of the other D versions right now. So it's kind of amazing how many different versions of the four inch you could come up with it. And they, they also make a quadruple at one Oh six, or they did for a while too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And, um, I think that all of the four inches are pretty close with some slight variations uh, here and there. Um, I think the one that predated uh, the TSA 102, its predecessor, I think some reports what I was reading is that it's a little bit better on Mars, just a little bit better in that red spectrum. But in in every uh, other case, the TSA was slightly better than it. But you know, again, I, I think you're probably splitting hairs with a lot of these telescopes, uh, like a lot of these four inch telescopes from Takahashi. Um, you know, I think yeah. they probably all put up outstanding views. Yeah, there was a, the one that that put me over the top on getting the DC was uh, I think the person's name is Richard Vine. He's in the UK. Is it Richard Vine? Yeah, scope reviews. Scope reviews dot yep. something. Dot anyway, UK dot something. Yeah, he did a pile and he was reviewing the F9 and the F7.4. And the F9 dude up um, and he grabbed the F7.4 to finish like a sketch of Mars. And he said, if you're looking at these scopes, just get the 7.4. You like, the, he said, maybe there's, and people can read the review if I'm recalling it correctly. It's been a couple of years, but basically, they're so close. He felt like he couldn't even tell it to tell the difference. So what's the point in going for an F9 over F7.4 and much more portable instrument. And that, that sold me. Cause I thought, wow, if the 7.4 performs like the F9 and you, and you either can't, or it's so close, can hardly tell the difference then, uh, that I'm, I'm in, I'm that that's, that's the scope for me. And, uh, I think you, you're now uh, going to start, uh, seeing those, those kind of performance rewards as well. Like you were saying um, that the seeing seemed really good, but that's kind of part of the Takahashi fairy dust, if you will, you know, I think anyway. Get, like being able to uh, just make seeing a little bit better somehow. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, from what I've been able to read and, and divine from my own, uh, from my own observations is when the when the telescopic optics are made to a very high standard and it's, it's Canon Optron that makes those. Um, and then the combination of like a well-designed tube, which is really what Takahashi is doing, you know, you're, you're really limiting any kind of uh, outside impacts. And I think typically with most telescopes, there's some sort of compromises and other, other things that come into play, but they've kind of, done a pretty darn good job of eliminating all those. So there's kind of like no compounding, um, you know, impacts on, on the seeing of the instrument. So really what you're seeing when you do look through it is, you know, atmospheric, uh, problems, you're not seeing, you know, telescopic, um, optical errors or two current errors or, or other things getting introduced, which are compounding the uh, atmospheric seeing, which, which is the, the usual case in most instruments. Hmm. Interesting. That, that's from my own observations. Cause like you, you know, I've, I've had some, you know, really good nights and, um, nights that were better than, than last night, even. And, and I was observing a little bit last night, but you know, where I put, uh, like my three and a half millimeter Pentax in a 1.65 Barlow and felt like hmm, maybe I'll try the two, Barlow. <laughs> you know, I mean, 
it, it, it really seems unfathomable that a telescope could could reach those you know 350 400 power um, ranges but uh, but these takahashis do it and and it's and it's like observationally useful um, the only other telescope I've seen do that is the astrophysics um, which are more expensive more difficult to obtain um, you know and I, but you know, they're, you know, that makes them a little bit unobtainable, at least for me anyway, but the Takahashi, I think for the prices that they go for, um, I think they're a bargain. I really do, even though they're not inexpensive telescopes. So no, no, they're, they're not, but, uh, you, you, you know, it's, it is a buy once and, and enjoy for the rest of your lifetime type of telescope. It's, it's going to be hard to improve on, on this one for sure. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't see this one leaving, my collection anytime. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially once you look at Mars with it, you know, and it'll be neat mm-hmm. to compare your scope and my scope uh, on Mars and, and just see, but um, you know, like I've never seen the level of detail on Mars that I saw with my, with my four inch there uh, uh, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, um, you know, and then, you know, and all, all these tack hashes are pretty darn good. I mean, really, but, uh, but I think the four inch is such a size that you're really getting like, like grasp resolution. Like you were saying, the colors and the stars are popping a little bit more in combination with a telescope that isn't so large that you're not looking through a huge column of air. So most of the time you can, not most of the time, but a lot of the time you can sort of max out that column of air, um, and, and really obtain some, some higher powers than, than what, what any other scope, uh, that that's that size or larger would, would be able to make use of. So yeah, they do kind of have this little bit of, I, I think almost like magical property, kind of like the astrophysics, you know, it's in that mm-hmm. same uh, kind of realm. Uh, have you ever looked through any of the astrophysics? No, I have not. No. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was a member at the Halifax center, which is the astronomy club in, in Halifax in, in Nova Scotia. And I think at one time there was like three or four people with them and three or four people with tax and, uh, wow, like, you know, to be out in the observing field when, when those kind of instruments are to be able to go around. And then, uh, you know, some people had some pretty large, uh, uh reflectors as well. Cause I know, um, there's a guy named Tony, he had a five inch, uh, Roy had a four inch, somebody else had one. And then I know that Darren had a tack and somebody else had a tack too. And then when I moved to Ontario, um, uh, the person I observed with, uh, Rudolph Dorner, uh, recently passed away. He had the FS uh, 128. I, I observed through that and, and some other refractors uh, in and around up in, uh, up in Ontario anyway. And uh, yeah, just, just amazing to, to see how these kind of telescopes can perform, um, you know, under sort of like the regular average observing conditions. And I think that's, that's what makes it cool. Cause you know, any really good big scope is going to give you those amazing views on those awesome nights. Right. And that's just the nature of physics, but on the, just sort of like these average nights when, when we're actually out there able to get out after the car show or whatever, you know, like that's, that's, you know, when you can observe and, and that's, I think kind of where these scopes sort of, uh, that's where they really, really punch their weight. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, the other thing too, that I always forget and, and, my uh, Teleview Genesis SDF would remind me of this occasionally, but it, it's just how much larger a four-inch telescope is, a four-inch refractor mm-hmm. over a three-inch refractor. 
you know, one inch, you would think, ah, whatever, that's a fairly, you know, fairly close form factor, but holy smokes, like, you know, the, uh, the uh, 76 DCU that I have is F 7.4. So very close to the F eight that the TSA is, but like, what a difference. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, and then like, I have the 125 millimeter and I know you've got the 120 millimeter ED Mm -hmm. type telescopes and you, you don't realize that same gain, even though you're going up like that other 20 millimeters. Um, yeah, it just you, you, it, the law of diminishing returns sets in really quick at that four inch size. So every mm-hmm. millimeter up to about four inch, you almost feel like you can detect each millimeter in aperture, and then you almost need like you know ten millimeters in aperture to start noticing or, or something like that. I don't know, but uh, um, the the five inch only feels just marginally um, better as far as light grasp goes, and then of course you're you've got more, more glass there and it's uh, it's a longer cool down and a little bit more challenging of a setup. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, mm-hmm. it kind of negates any gain that, that you would ever get. So yeah, the four inch is a perfect yeah. size, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I I've been doing some reading because as I also mentioned, like when this TSA uh, were, you know, was to arrive, um, it, it, at least one telescope is going to, to leave my collection. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, either the Teleview Genesis SDF and or my Skywatcher 120 ED. Mm. Um, so I've been doing a lot of reading about, you know, 120, 120 millimeters versus 100. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of people echo what you just said, you know, that the 120, yeah, you know, the image is a little bit larger just because of the larger aperture. And yes, it is brighter on, uh, you know, pretty much anything you look at, but it's not what you would think that, you know, it, the light gathering, uh uh, surface area, I think is like 44% larger, but it's not like you get a 44% increase in brightness or contrast or anything. Um, you know, it's there, but it's not a huge difference. Um, you know, what a lot of people were posting is that if you really want, you know, like a, a wow factor, you go from a four inch to a six inch refractor. Um, yeah. but going to a six inch refractor, uh, you are probably not using any of the same mounting or tripods, like a six inch refractor is quite a different oh, beast. Yeah. 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 So it's no longer a real grab and go like, you know, a telescope like that is a commitment, you know, to set up and to observe with. So it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, a whole different scenario. Yeah. Even, even my five inch, I find that even though it's, it's, um, sort of in, in between, or I think it's almost identical to your TSA or pretty close to it. Maybe it's just a shade lighter, but, uh, yeah, just, just for some reason, it just seems, you know, five inches, it, it just has that much more, I don't know what, but it, it feels like a bigger scope. Um, oh, yeah. up to the four inch, my four inch and a three inch, it's just like, there's, there's no difference. So I, I would almost never take out a, a three inch. I always take out my four inch or, uh, or take out my 60 millimeter if I want a smaller scope. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my, my 120 millimeter Skywatcher ED, it, it really only got used when I was going out to a dark site. Like I, yeah. it was just too big to kind of run out the back door and have a 30 minute session. Um, which is where that 76 millimeter DCU really comes into play like that. Yeah. To me, that's the ideal telescope for that kind of observing because one hand I have the tripod telescope mount 
you know, the other hand, I can have my eyepieces or whatever else and one trip out the door and I'm observing really quick. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to replace that. And even though I have the TSA, the TSA is, is a fairly heavy four inch and it requires, you know, a heavier mount and tripod. So it's not a one trip out with that one. It's a few trips. So, you know, I still see actually some of my backyard observing to be done with the 76 uh, DCU just because of the ease. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I had my 60 out this morning just because, uh, yeah, it, uh, I got up and there was going to be no time for fooling around. I just needed to get observing. And, uh, so out the 60 game, you know, and it's just, it's just that simple. There's, yeah. you know, I, I think there's always a place in, uh, you know, in the telescope stable for these really small telescopes when you just really need to see something and you don't need like massive power and you just need to get going super, super quick and uh, nothing beats like those 60, 70 millimeter scopes, you know, just, uh, just the way, the way, it, the way it rolls. And I just love the 60 because it's almost like it's the, and the reason why I bought the 60 was that I was going to buy like a really like the best pair of like 10 by fifties or something like that, that I could get, like maybe like the Canon image stabilized or mm. something like that. And I decided that I wouldn't do that, that I would get, um, I would kind of spend about the same amount of money, but get a, get a tack refractor. And, uh, and it is, it's just like setting up a pair of binoculars on a tripod. It's, it's no more complicated than that. And no, it doesn't feel like anything more than just setting up a, a good pair of like 10 by fifties on a binocular tripod. Um, and that's pretty much what I use this on. And, uh, yeah, it gets tons and tons of viewing. It's probably my most used instrument really just because of that. So, you know, and they say the best telescope is the one you use the most. And I, I still think, you know, the really small scopes, um, you know, in that sort of 60 to 75 millimeter zone, not quite three inches are, are just such a, such a sweet spot for getting in those, those quick observations that, uh, that probably double my observing every year since I got it. So mm -hmm, great mm -hmm. addition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Let's, uh, let's hear about your observing. You were out last night or shall I say this morning? This morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought about going out last night and, uh, this is not interesting. Uh, I was, yeah, I was fooling around with stuff at, uh, at the place I bought last year. And, uh, anyway, I, I was just too tired, um, to do much. I half thought about texting you cause I knew you would be out no matter what. And, uh, I just thought, ah, oh, I can't drive back. Cause you live almost halfway to my place. So I was like, I just can't drive back up there today. And so I just bailed. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. So I went to bed and thought if I wake up, I wake up and I did. And it was really, really nice conditions. So I said, huh, I'm going to throw out the little 60 and away I went. And, uh, yeah, I did like three quarters of an hour of observing and did a nice little sketch of Venus and Jupiter there that I sent you. Yeah, that's awesome. So a question about the sketch, um, are those two, like, would you say that both planets were to scale as you saw them? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think okay. they're, I think they're a little big. Um, you know, I was trying to, I was having trouble uh, drawing them as small as they were. And I thought, ah, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just use artistic license here. So they're probably a little bit bigger than what they would be otherwise, but sometimes it's hard to kind of get the detail. Like I was having trouble drawing the kind of, um, crescent of, uh, Venus, um, 
any smaller than that. I needed to sharpen my pencil and it was getting bright really quick. And I, <laughs> if, if I stopped to sharpen my pencil, I wasn't going to get a sketch, right? That wasn't yeah. going to happen. So I thought I'll just make them just a hair bigger. Why do you ask? Well, no, just, just what struck me about them. Um, so here, here's like a, a pairing that I've never looked at before it, through a telescope. I've never seen uh, Jupiter and Venus in the same field of view. Oh, okay. Um, so what struck me was just that they're about the same size, uh, you know, visually. Um, so that, that was the only reason I was asking. Um, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, they're, they're close. They were, they were pretty close. Um, I think, I think as far as, yeah, the comparison, I was trying to get that fairly accurate. Venus was smaller. Okay. So yeah, Venus, Venus should, should be smaller. So if, if, if it's closer then yeah, but it's not much, it wasn't much smaller. I don't know what it was. I I didn't look it up or anything. Um, And here's the other thing. This is kind of, and maybe this is, maybe this is why it might've appeared larger than it was because it's it's sort of at a larger phase right now venus is and because of that and because of how low it was and it was below jupiter so it was having a little bit more scatter especially Mm -hmm. when i first started looking at it and in fact when i first started looking at it i was looking at it through a tree and like uh, like tree branches and it was causing a lot of um like it was causing like the, them to look a little bit more bloated because there was, the, I don't know why, but when you look through a tree, even though like it, I was looking through the branches, there was still some of the sort of stick sticking through and it was causing some weird optical effects. And then eventually it rose out from between the tree branches and, and, uh, and I had a pretty good look, but that was perhaps distorting my view of how, how big uh, Venus appeared. Cause it seemed to be more impacted by that. I think just because of its brightness alone, um, yeah. And the color of Venus was more of a greeny color. Um, I didn't, oh. uh, yeah, that was, that was, the, there was a lot more color to them than I was expecting. In fact, I, I didn't expect to see the, um, the bands on Jupiter. And when I first looked at it through binoculars, I thought I could see at least one of the moons on Jupiter, but then, um, when I was observing it with the telescope, I, I couldn't, uh, it took me five or 10 minutes to get kind of set up and switch over. I hadn't, I hadn't anticipated to do a telescopic session, just going to grab binoculars, but the sky was so stable. I was like, Ooh, I got to set up a telescope here. And, and I observed it until, um, like five minutes before uh, sunrise kind of thing. So, Oh, wow. Nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice little session. Yeah. Yeah. Sunrise was just after was about five 30 and and I did that. I was doing sketches up till five twenty-five or something like that. So yeah, oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were far, far away into the south of the sun. So I knew I was was nice and safe. And there's um, buildings. Like we have all these buildings in the mm-hmm. distance here. So I know even if I'm off by a few minutes, um, as long as I'm a few minutes of caution, then I'm probably eight or nine minutes away from true sunrise. So. Uh, I knew I was nice and safe, pretty far away from where the sun would rise anyway. So all good. Yeah. Cool. You know, and, and our forecast looks not too bad actually for, you know, as much whining as we've done for the last six months, it seems about not being able to observe. I I think we're pretty much in good observing weather now for the, at least the next week, it looks like. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope to get out. Uh, I'm going to take a few days off. I got to get some stuff uh going at my place and i gotta take a shovel out and clean up a lot of uh deer uh excrement um (laughs) yeah i mean 
you, you wonder how much deer poop there can be. And then you come out to where I observe and you'll see more deer poop than you could ever imagine. So <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. But I didn't have to mow. So there's a benefit. Yeah. 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 You got a natural lawnmower. Man, they just cleaned it right off, but they don't clean the, uh, they didn't clean off the, uh, they didn't clean off the, what do you call it? The invasive grass. They just, they just cleaned off all the, uh, natural prairie grasses, but they won't, they won't eat like the, the ones from like someone's lawn kind of thing that have kind of grown in, in a few places. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah. They're picky, funny things. Well, fair enough. I'm, I'm a picky eater too. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and you said that your Morpheus eyepiece has glow in the dark lettering on it. Did I read <laughs> yeah. that right? Yeah. So if you remember back, Chris, I, I think I bought that Morpheus sometime late last fall or something like that. And um, I used it on the TAC 76 DCU and I had like extreme blackout issues. Like if my eye was not perfectly centered on that eyepiece, I like it just blacked out. So it was very difficult to use. And I've had that issue with that 76 DCU before, like that Nikon uh, five millimeter eyepiece was kind of similar, although I found it a lot easier to get the right eye placement with the Nikon and it was usable, but the, the 12 and a half millimeter Morpheus, I thought was unusable on that scope, but, um, I, I wanted to see how it worked in my other telescopes before, you know, I would decide to keep it or sell it. And, uh, so last night I quickly put it into the TSA and it worked really, really good in that telescope. So that's nice. But yeah, so this morning I was just like, you know, when I come in after observing, usually what happens is all of my gear gets put on the kitchen table just because I'm tired and I don't want to deal with it in the morning. I put it all away. So I grabbed the Morpheus. And I was passing through just like a dark area in the house and, then, <laughs> and out of the corner of my eye, I see like this green glow and I thought, what the heck? And look down and like, is this really glowing? So I went into like a dark bathroom, closed the door and I'm like, holy smokes, like the whole label glows in the dark. So <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, it's too bad. It doesn't glow red. I'm not sure why it has to glow green, but anyway, it is what it is. That is weird. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So, so, you know, with, with that glow in the dark paint, like it, it requires sunlight to excite it or, or some kind of light, you know, to excite yeah. it. And then it glows for a while. What I'm kind of curious about now is like, if we're out observing till two or three in the morning, is this thing going to glow the whole night or will it sort of yeah, wear I out? I hope it wears out. It's kind of annoying. Well, the other funny part is that typically your eyepieces aren't out in the sunlight. They're only out in the moonlight or darkness. Yeah. So usually they wouldn't be getting charged up anyway. So it's kind of, uh, to me, it seems strange because typically your eyepieces, like if, I, if that could be on all of my pieces and I would never know because if they need light to charge them up, they're never in light, like, or at least not much light. They, I guess they got a little light this morning and, you know, for the five minutes right before sunrise and then they went back into a dark case until it's dark again, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm reading on cloudy nights here. Somebody wrote, uh, who wrote, Oh, Bill Paoloni. Of course mm-hmm. I should have known. He wrote a review on the uh, Morpheus eyepieces, which I think he's a huge fan of, and he might even have the whole set, but in here, he talks about the glow in the dark that it does wear off after sitting for a short while. So that's good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Shall we read a couple emails? Yeah. Let's get into that. All right. Um, let's see. 
Maybe I'll read the first one. How's that sound? All right. Sure. I uh, had, had an email from Chris. Uh, Chris says, uh, and it's not me. It's it's an actual listener, Chris. I'm not writing into the show again. All right. Uh, he writes, gentlemen, thanks for the mentions of Mercury in your monthly upcoming events episode. Um, he says, Don McColtz also had good advice. After several months of really poor weather for astronomy, um, and then he puts in brackets, I heard somewhere that Ontario had more cloudy days over the last couple months than Northern England. Yesterday was quite clear and I was able to see Mercury at its Eastern elongation. Uh, with a 25 millimeter eyepiece in, I was able to see both the planet and the Pleiades in a single field of view. That's awesome. I think I had uh, mused about hopefully seeing that and did not. Um, the seeing wasn't great as it was relatively low in the horizon or relatively close to the horizon um, during twilight. And in that direction, uh, there's a shopping mall and a 400 series highway plus the Pearson airport. I'm familiar with that area. Um, at 130 X, I can make a small featureless disc, which is about all I expected. The main thing was to be able to see it in a telescope. Uh, and he does not recall ever seeing Mercury in a telescope before. So that is, uh, definitely a, a bonus to be able to, uh, to have seen that. Uh, he writes now, all we need is for the latest pan stars comet to survive perihelion and Western twilight will really get interesting. So, yeah, I wonder how comet pan stars is coming along when it comes out here in a couple of days, doesn't it? Yeah. I, so just prior to us uh, getting online here to record, I was, I was looking to see if there was any reports and I, I haven't seen anything. And in fact, um, our, our one website that we like the, uh, what is that? Aerith, uh, .net. Um, there's no magnitude reports on that plot diagram since like January, which is really strange. So I'm not too sure how this one's doing, but it will be a sun grazer. And on uh, looking up with Don, uh, gee, a couple episodes ago, he, he speculated, you know, and, and if there's a comet expert that I will listen to, it's certainly Don, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, Don mentioned that this will be a sun grazer. And he said, ah, I'm not getting my hopes up for this more often than not. Uh, these comets don't survive their close encounter with the sun. So, you know, it's better to set the expectations low and maybe be wowed um, if, you know, somehow it does survive. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. Do you want to read Jim's? Yeah. Yeah. So Jim said, hey, Chris and Shane, uh, early April, I was in Washington state for a wedding and between the cloudy weather and the high horizons, I did not see any of the planets dancing. Uh, then I spent a week in Saluda, North Carolina with the same issues. Uh, I did manage to pick up my new 10 inch F six teeter telescope daub. Uh, that's pretty cool. Teeter makes a really good telescope. They do, but I think they're only making limited ones right now. So I was kind of excited to hear about that. And I think I wrote them. I wanted to see photos, but Please send photos, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then Jim says, however, as soon as I returned to uh, Sugarland, Texas, I spent a week packing, then closing in, uh, on a new house. Uh, another week packing and moving till yesterday when the movers moved all the furniture. Um, anyway, it didn't really matter that I didn't have time to catch the planets as every time I looked up, it was cloudy. Uh, last night was the first night in our new to us house. And I woke up this morning to my wife saying, you should see the moon this morning. And I thought, mm. what? It's clear. Finally, uh, I ran out to see the moon, Jupiter and Neptune through the trees in my backyard. And most importantly, no clouds. 
Uh, I moved to the front of the house and literally stood directly below a streetlight to capture the following image on my iPhone. Uh, the moon, uh, crescent plus earth shine, Jupiter, Venus, and Neptune are on the lower right with the first uh, Mars and then Saturn up to the left. Uh, as usual, probably need to view in a larger screen to see the dimmer planets. Hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, super cool image of, uh, of the solar system. Love yeah, that, that is awesome. That I was thinking about that when I looked out this morning and I could see Jupiter and Venus and I was like, but I didn't get it as good as Jim. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, that that's like magical. Really, really magical. I like the shot too, because he's got it framed in, in between um, a couple trees of varying heights and the line of somebody's rooftop. And uh, wow, that is a pretty, pretty shot. Uh, that made me want to go out and observe. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ditto. <laughs> cool. Uh, had an email from uh, Flippy, and he included um, some photos, and uh, I, I think some of them are parrots. So I love parrots. People should know this. I, I actually like birds quite a bit, and uh, but I, you know I'm not an amateur or anthologist or anything like that, but. Uh, I always wanted parrots when I was a kid. So he's, when he found this out, whenever he's out, he sees them because he lives in uh, in in a Southern Hemisphere country and in, uh, in Brazil. And uh, I guess there's just parrots that fly around. And he's so whenever he sees them, he'll take a photo. It just blows my mind. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty cool. Um, yeah, so he was saying that his telescope, which I think we were talking about, is is a self built. Like a uh, he's built this really cool custom uh, DIY tracking 160 odd millimeter um, telescope, and he was saying it's f 8.25. So that's that's okay. a nice uh, nice focal ratio. And he said that he's at UTC minus four. I thought I thought Brazil was on the same uh, time as us, but that would put them. Um, we're like on like Toronto time, I think, or Ontario mm, time. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yep. Something like that anyway. So, huh. I thought we were on the same time. It must be Argentina or something that we're on the same time with something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Chile or it's one, one country is on the same time as us down there, but it's not too different. Like that's not too different. So if, if, uh, yeah, I think, I think we were exchanging emails and he had emailed saying that he was eating dinner. And I was like, I'm going to eat dinner now too kind of thing. Right. So <laughs> like that, that made me think like, Oh, we're on the same closer time zone, but that's really not that far apart. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So he said, um, day after, I, uh, day after I sent last email, I went out again and tried to take some photos of the Southern cross and was really happy with the results. And uh, when he came home, he looked at the same region through a telescope and was super amazed by it. Uh, there's so many things going on. It was hard to tell uh, which object I was looking at. Uh, here is a picture I took and one of me taking the picture. Uh, so he sent two photos. He sent a photo that he took of the night sky and he sent a photo of himself taking the photo of the night sky. <laughs> like amazing. <laughs> so cool. He has a headlamp on and, um, he said, uh, uh, of me taking, uh, the picture, uh, my head ended up, uh, right in front of the large Magellanic clouds. So I guess he, he was, uh, occulting the, the Magellanic cloud there on the shot. Uh, he goes on to write on the 22nd, I finally managed to wake up early enough to do some observing. I wanted to see the planet alignment and do some morning exercises. So I left home at around 4 15 
was amazing seeing the sunrise and the planets. I want you to do it again this week. Um, but he has to stabilize his telescope a little bit uh, before the 29th so he can see Jupiter and Venus in the same field of view through his telescope, which I saw this morning. So that's pretty cool. And so, yeah, then he sent us, I, yeah, I, put, I don't know why I put the LMC there, uh, but this is the uh, Southern Cross. Mm-hmm. I know that's the Southern Cross because I've seen this for myself and it's super cool. So what you're looking at, Shane, is uh, on the Southern Cross is on the left side more or less of the screen and the top of the cross is the orangish star. And then, you know, you can actually see a little bit of the coal sack just to the left uh, of, of that area of the sky. Pretty cool. And then he has this shot of himself and you can actually see there's like a bit of a halo around the top of his head in that shot. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the, uh, the large Magellanic cloud. So pretty cool. And then he sent the planetary alignment, which is really neat to see because from where he is, um, which I think is much closer to the equator, um, the planets were almost vertical, whereas here they're on this big angle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really neat to kind of see that, uh, that difference in, uh, in the alignment. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a straight line overhead. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. So yeah, really neat to, uh, to get that perspective. Yeah. I always really enjoy getting, uh, the photos and, and the emails. I didn't put the photos of the parrots in the show notes, but, uh, I certainly enjoy them and they're, they're very red, like. A lot yeah, of the pair of photos. Color. Yeah. 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 So, so red. I'm going to have to try. I was, I was sitting up on my hill and uh, I was looking at uh, some of the parrots or not parrots that we have, but some of the other birds that we have and uh, was up there. I think I saw like a kingfisher and uh, then there's these birds that make all this racket. They kind of flutter around. They have these um, sort of orange wings. Uh, anyway, I was looking at those pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Anything to add to to these notes or, or the episode, Shane, before we wrap up? No, that is all I have, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're on Patreon. If anybody wants to make a donation, we always appreciate that. And we're always excited to get your observing emails, photos, sketches, whatever you want to send to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.